Welcome to the Shark Pod, the podcast that explores business and lifestyle design in Ireland and beyond. And now, live from Greystone Studios, here are your hosts, Luke Curry and Mark Baker. What is up, Shark Nation? Welcome to another episode of the Shark Pod. Uh, we've got Mark uh, in uh, the Carclo um, Hotel. Uh, they're our sponsors for today. They're, they've graciously allowed Mark to have his own room to do the podcast. Uh, Mark, how are you doing? Good, yeah, yeah. That's uh, the beach there behind me for anyone watching on, on YouTube. It's absolutely beautiful beach. Yeah. But uh, yeah, no, the hotel's been, it's a great little hotel in Carclo, just five minutes away from the, the beach. Yeah. Highly recommended. Okay, we're going to shout out then, and we're also going to put a, a quick link to a, a booking.com. They're actually not a, a, a sponsor <laughs> at all. Uh, Mark just happens to be uh, scabbing their uh, their wedding suite right now, uh, doing a little bit of uh, uh, kind of espionage. Anyway, uh, Connor Sheridan is our guest today. Connor, you're very welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having us on, guys. We're, we're delighted to have you on here. We're big fans of Matic. Um, we want to dig into how that uh, how that came about, maybe a little bit about your story. Um, right now, this is such an interesting uh, time for the hospitality sector. Crazy challenges going on out there. It's the 7th of August for people who are listening in the future. Um, we just learned yesterday that there was a few shutdowns in the Midlands uh, again for a couple of weeks. So it's something that's uh, on a lot of people's minds here. But we're not going to dwell on the negativity. We're going uh, to talk about the opportunities that are coming down the line as well. Um, so, Connor, maybe if you wouldn't mind giving the the, 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 the listeners a little bit of a, a, a background into kind of where, where you're from in Dublin, where did you where you kind of went to college, all that type of stuff, and then we'll take it from there. All right, great. Uh, thanks again, guys. So I suppose I'm originally from Castlenock, so uh, North County, Dublin, just like Phoenix Park there for anyone who doesn't know. Uh, I went to college, did my undergrad in DCU in economics and law, and then uh, worked for a little bit in tech sales. And for about 12, 18 months, went over and did a master's in London in um, economics again, uh, looking to get into finance. So... Moved into um, investment strategy after that and doing a bit of like quantitative trading and stuff. So super exciting. Well, not really. <laughs> Very much like you, you, you watch movies like Wall Street and you're like, going to go in and be the big dog and you go in and go, it's actually boring as shit like sitting in front of black Connor, spreadsheets. Connor, so, this, uh, is a, this is exactly, this is something that was so interesting when I was looking because I, I just looked at your, because I obviously looked at the, the website for Mad Egg and all that type of stuff and uh, I read some articles as well that have been in papers and stuff um, but I didn't realize that you were a Davy uh, alumni as well. Uh, yeah. So I, we actually worked in Davy for about a month when you started, I was uh, I was working there as well, um, but we never crossed paths, obviously. But there was that it, small it's world. It's a small world, but um, I know what you mean. When I was when I started, Davy, I thought I was going to be this. Uh, I thought I was going to be. Do you know the guy from uh, from Wall Street with the big mobile phone on the beach? You know, making yeah, yeah, making yeah. these big <laughs> deals and stuff. And it was, it was a lot of uh, a lot of paperwork actually involved. It's uh, <laughs> and yeah, uh, very much, yeah, yeah. very much so. And uh, I remember that the, the only biscuits that they had there was Jaffa cakes. It was a bit bare, like, you know, and uh, those little, um, anyway, so never, yeah. never mind. Um, so this is, it's, it's kind of interesting then. So you, you were in, uh, you were in financial services at that stage. And were, did you kind of say, this isn't for me? I, I wanted to get into something a little bit more creative or what was the, the push to get you out of that? Because most, some of my friends are still there and David, like yeah. 10 years later, you know, so no, hundred percent. And look, in fairness, it's a great place to work, and the guys there are all great. I, le- I learned a lot there. Um, 
I think like being financially savvy is really important irrespective of what you do in life, uh, business-wise or not. Having an understanding of how money works for you and, and or, does, or works against you is pretty important. So though I was in there with the guys very much like a bit of naivety to going on like that kind of Masters of the Universe, Gordon Gecko buzz, and then you were like, this is very much like not the case and <laughs> not never going to be the case. And uh, But look, it was fine. And I was kind of, I'd say with him, I was there for about a year and a half within the first four or five months, I knew that it wasn't for me. So I was like literally probably working your, your nine to five in there and then also doing the CFAs. So after that, but then also after CFAs, I was like, uh, how the fuck do I get out of here? Apologies for, for person. Yeah. <laughs> how do I get out of here? So kind of um, working out a strategy for that. So that was where I really started to go, okay, uh, let's just get a notebook out and just jot down anything I might be interested in that could become a business. And Connor, was it hard after, after putting all the, the time and, and you know effort into the CF the likes of the CFAs. I know I know those exams are one of the yeah. hardest exams you'll ever do. Kind of that investment, you know, you 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 done. Was it difficult to leave that all behind? You know, was it was that an issue for you? Yeah, look, I think um, when it, when it was a little bit further away from me when I was starting out, I was like super excited to go. Like, I can't wait, and I've always wanted to do something myself. And even to roll back before that, I'd looked at different ideas after college. I just didn't have cash to do anything, so I was like, "Look, I'll just get into, get into work." So then I was kind of was more of an excitement. And as it became closer, when I set myself a D day, I was crapping my pants. Like I was like, "I can't believe I'm actually going to leave all this because there's no way back if you stay out for a while." Really, well, not it's not might not be true, but in my head, I was like, "There's no way back here if I leave this." in the middle of the CFAs, in the middle of the team here, and say, I give myself 12 months and it falls down. I, I, personally, I don't want to come back with my tail between my yeah, legs. Yeah. Number one, and number, number two, would they want me back to somebody younger, sharper, who's more bought in that's going to stay there? So yeah. it was it was pretty daunting, uh, but it kind of gave you a bit of a kick up the arse to go, there's no other option other than to make this work right now. Like so, Yeah, it's a big leap to make because you're, you're so... Uh... You're so kind of highly employable in the one area and almost too employable to go into other areas. Say if it's, it's either continue on as you're going or, or take the leap into something entrepreneurial. Yeah. But there's, yeah. kinda, there's not a ton else you can do if the, if the entrepreneur thing doesn't work and you don't want to go back to the finance thing. There's a few other things you can go into now if you actually if you think about it properly, but you might at the time you probably not think, Jesus, it's one or the other. You know, that's, a, that's what makes the leap so hard to do. 100%. And I think like that's... It's kind of a common mindset and it's definitely one that I have that you kind of uh, have the blinkers on in terms of what options you have in life as well. So initially I went to the restaurants because obviously you probably get to it a bit later to squeeze now, which is much more technology focused business that we have. Um, but initially I was like, I couldn't start a lot of ideas around different tech businesses and different things I wanted to do. And it just seemed so far away that I was like, I can't write a line of code. I'm not going to get involved in this. So the restaurant thing was like, if everything goes hits up in a restaurant, at least I can jump in the kitchen once I learn. That kind of mindset, yeah. even from that point of view or even from finance where you think like, okay, I um, I can only work in finance. But if you have such a, that skill set goes across every industry to have a knowledge of how it's actually to go deep dive into a business structure and see how it can really drive performance. Like if you can apply it to any industry and bring that skill set, because it's, it's quite niche uh, to, to, to be able to do it properly. So, Looking back yeah. now, like it could have gone into any any industry in the world, but back then it was very much that hard to go. Look, I'm if I leave this, I have no other choice. So yeah, yeah it's, it's a funny one. Like for people out there listening, it's like I think to get your head above water and see all the options you do have is really important. I think the biggest one that option, sorry, that, that people don't think about is is a sales type of environment. You know, 
the, the barriers to entry are quite low. No offense, Luke, but yeah, uh, no they are. If, <laughs> if you think about it, you know, so there's always, if you can sell, you'll never go hungry. Yeah, exactly. Definitely. I'd say so as well. But I remember that, that kind of blinkers on when I left Davey as well, because I was actually in the, the CFA process as well. Uh, after the first exam, I was like, okay, there's going to be another three years of this. I just don't know if this is going to be for me. And then I, yeah. uh, ex- it's, it's, instead of... Uh, leaving and doing something you know productive uh by you know starting a restaurant that people love i actually just went uh on a holiday for two years around the world but it was, so we went a different way on that uh yours is probably a little bit more uh a little bit more um you know uh, productive but anyway uh okay so you're you're there you, you hand in your notice you say okay i'm gonna start this business like are you starting small right now is it going to be kind of like uh, like a catering business uh or how did you get how did you kind of find the kind of like the chicken niche or that you how did you decide on that you know yeah so now i decided to um i had like three different concepts in my mind that i was working through over a period of time and uh they ranged from like uh, it was a vegan slaughterhouse called the green hook which was like very very uh, gimmicky based <laughs> so yeah. you come in and there's a lot of vegetables on hooks everyone's in butcher's <laughs> aprons and stuff like that it was going to be in, in a restaurant very like very niche at the time, so it was in 2017. So um, it wasn't as widespread as now. And I was like, look, this is coming on an S-curve, so let's get in there. Had that, had kind of a version of Mad Egg and then a ramen, like Japanese concept. was just, I really interested in Japanese cuisine. It seems very good. It's not very well done in a lot of places, but mm-hmm. if you could do it right in casual setting, it's good. But no, I had a location signed up on Dawson Street originally, handed in my notice, and uh, I didn't have a co-founder at this stage and went in and then the deal fell through. Uh, after I'd already left the business, which is which is already already ideal, <laughs> so um, fell through after all of that, and I was like, oh crap, back to back to uh, back to the first step of this whole process again. And then I was so lucky in hindsight because I was going in to do a concept that wouldn't have worked there, number one, and it was actually out of my um, uh, especially out of the budget, so it was taking on a lot of debt for that as well. So uh, it wouldn't have been good. So use that kind of it took me about three months to get going again to finally get it on Camden Street. So I used that period of time. I was linking in with my co-founder over the previous 12 months, just kind of using him as a sounding board because he had a couple more restaurants going and stuff like that. So kind of just said to him at that point, like, let's let's go for this after I found Camden Street. So we actually signed the lease and then came up with what we wanted to do, which is always, nice. which is not the advice, which is not the advice I give people. So, <laughs> but this is it. It's like you pick the distribution channel. This is like, like, yeah. I, like we, me and my friend were talking about this the other day. There's a, there's this, you know, warehouse in Bray that is, so cheap to rent for a year like the we just seen that the lease was really small and we were just thinking about what would we do with this like we could do yeah. kind of like maybe not now but you could put like you know like some sort of like make it a party event or a uh you could uh, uh put like uh trade shows and i don't know you could do something with it like but we were trying to say okay yeah. if it's only gonna be 25 grand a year surely we can make more than that out of it joking away but maybe that's that's what yeah. you guys are doing so i don't know i think it's uh i think it's a good good way to do it also mad egg it's this is for people outside because there's there's people um, in 27 countries uh, that listen to the podcast, which is crazy. Um, so people yeah. who are outside of the country who are listening to this in Dublin, Camden Street is kind of how would you how would you describe it? It's a very it's a kind of almost bohemian feel to it. Uh, I think you'd you'd say in Dublin, um, and I think Mad Mad Egg just kind of like fits into that quite well. Was that part of the the concept? Did you try to do something for that area? Do you know yeah, hundred percent. Like I suppose we started out, or I started out back actually building the business on like a financial statement first. So you're kind of first of all trying to find locations that will fit a rental threshold for the for how much you're looking to sell, just to save it in budget. And then after that, 
that kind of narrows down your search to where you can afford to go, number one. And then you go, look, the brand we were going to do was always going to be that kind of bohemian um, type style and a little bit more edgy than what was out there. So you pick the locations where you think that would fit the profile of people who go. So as you said, like Cam Street, going to use London as an example, we'd be like Shoreditch or, or something like that, whereby it's a bit edgier bars, edgier stuff like that. So, and, but it's a mix of the office crowd and stuff as well. So Yeah, still expensive though. Yeah, it was very much. Rent. Um, yeah, we we got a pretty good deal on it in terms of at the time because the the, the units are in were in um, terrible terrible conditions. So there's a bit of work to be done. <laughs> but uh, yeah, look, it was that. It was a mixture of that, and then looking down the line in terms of what what's happening. So we used to go through development plans and stuff like that around the city to see what was being built, what's been signed off in terms of planning permission. So we saw that there was like about fifteen thousand more office workers going in there over the five year period. They're building nice. a lot more apartments and stuff. So it just gives you a lot more exposure. So that was kind of how we picked that location. Like as we started out, though, in my mind, always wanted to grow quite quickly. So we'd actually had four or five locations picked out that we were, that we were ideally going to hit. It's a bit of a hubris, but um, yeah. where whereabouts was, were they? Where were the other locations out of interest? Uh, the other one was where we're at around uh, Millennium Walkway, Jervis Street. Just yeah. it's an absolute. Where the second one opened, it was a funnel of, uh, of people. It just felt like it really fit that. Uh, Blanchetown was one that we didn't get into yet, um, and then. Um, Tala and there was just around it the kind of Exchequer Street, Drury Street area. Okay. So we ended up yeah, we ended up Jervis Street then Dundrum and before this we actually were two days away from starting building on Exchequer Street and uh, a month out from Temple Bar. So we, we were also opening but we pressed pause on that. Okay. Um yeah, I suppose just to give an overview to people listening, it's um it's a fast casual brand that focuses on like free range fried chicken. So we partnered with uh, the Smith Brothers, so they were the first ever free-range farmers in Ireland. So they developed the license with the Department of Agriculture for free-range farming. So, like, we call them the chicken bosses. So, literally the best best product you can get. And, obviously, we can't, the idea behind it was chicken's the most sold protein in Ireland by, by a long way. But it's probably one of the worst prepared or focused on in a restaurant. So, it was an afterthought to go, look, this person's a picky eater. They'll just do that. But we're a nation of, like, chicken roll, chicken fillet roll enthusiasts. <laughs> and we love we love chicken and fried chicken doing well is, is a whopper product. So the idea was like, there's a market there. It's also like you can look at other countries it was working really well in the UK, in the US, around more cosmopolitan cities. So that was a concept behind it. Just nail a really simple, but really good product at a good price point. Add a lot of um, kind of edge around the brand, find your voice and really try to connect with an audience. And like, if people like it, they'll come back. So, Simple in theory, uh, complex to deliver, but um, there's, yeah, that's like anything. Actually, I watched the video. There's a video, I believe, of, uh, kind of inter- a quick interview with the where the chicken comes from uh, on the website yeah. and stuff. That I love how that kind of with a, a casual restaurant, you don't usually get that kind of farm to fork feeling at all. You know, like it's it's you know if you're just going yeah. for a chicken roll, like I said, I like I've had some chicken rolls where I, I said to uh, you know said to my wife while we were eating them, said I wonder when this chicken died. Was it a a long time ago like it's like you know made a rubber you know uh, and also because i had chicken i was i was in my uh i was in a restaurant last night and i, and I knew you were coming on today so i kind of like chicken on the mind knowing you're that you, you think you're gonna <clears throat> when you're thinking about um somebody coming on the podcast and you're kind of seeing bits and pieces around that uh i was in a restaurant and i saw somebody uh so i got like a steak uh, and i saw the person beside me they ordered chicken and it looked like the most boring piece it was like, why would you go out to get this chicken? Do you like away? And I think, yeah, like I said, most of chicken in Ireland is like that. Even like in, a re- in pubs, you might get like a chicken supreme, which is just a piece of roast 
chicken with no salt yeah. or anything. And I just like <laughs> I think of the phrase, I'll, I'll just have the chicken. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That should, why? You know what I mean? And I have to just say, Connor, the mad egg is the, is the, the best chicken burger I've ever had by far. So just to tell the people out there, they know already, I'm sure anyone in Dublin knows it, but it's just unbelievable. But it's, for me, it's, I like good service and I like attention to detail. And I think Mad Egg has just, everything is attention to detail. Even, even the, even the music I heard, you know, is was carefully thought out. Can you tell us a bit more about the kind of amount of attention to detail you, you've put in? Yeah, hundred percent. Like I think obviously the food, and I would have said it before, the food has to knock it out of the park. It has to be unbelievable. There's so much competition, like on, chemistry initially was 150 restaurants and like 200 meters so your competition in terms of like and they're all similar price points so could be between 10 to 25 quid so they're all your competition irrespective of what they're selling so there's only a finite number of people so you need to we always say to the guys like we had a team meeting on friday for example we set out like quarterly objectives for the business as a collective and then we work towards it but we took we don't call ourselves restaurants call ourselves like we're aware of that call ourselves experience business so we, everything we do is, every start of every session, we map out the best-in-class customer journey or experience from when they might phone a restaurant all the way to when they pay the bill. Every single touch point for what they do and what they experience. And then we, we work out where we think we're at for each individual restaurant. And we try to pull it up to have it everything into a positive experience. So like that, when you come in to go, what's the greeting like? How are you engaged? Like, like It's not like you're giving people a script or anything, but you just want to make sure these people are the ones putting money into the business. If they don't come back, we're not going to have a business. So it's like, from, from that side but we also want to grow the business so you need to be the best in the market experience so they would have from setting up we looked at from a brand point of view who are we targeting who do we want to come in and then it was like what, what's their taste profiles like what are we like and how can we blend these so from a music point of view we use kind of more edgy hip-hop but even like from a detail point of view it's like different days for different music different shifts so like so for a friday night for example you want something bassy something pumpy get people a lot of energy like so they might buy more booze but they have a better time stuff like that on a Sunday afternoon it'd be more casual it's a different demographic it's probably people who are either hanging eating out together or my families and stuff so it's just like having an awareness of like why people go out at certain at certain periods of a week or a day over over that or even seasonality and stuff so from then and then how we structure the rooms and stuff you want to build atmospheres so we have different uh obviously heights of tables and where their position in the room is actually to have sound and acoustics around and stuff like that. So just trying to build a massive experience, everything that goes into that. And then it's how we deliver the food, how, how Instagramable is it? Because that's a big part of the customer journey. They come in and they want to share where they're eating because that's part of their personal brand to say, look, I'm out here, I'm in this place. And if it's, you're lucky enough to be considered cool, they want to share that with their friends and you need to have enough of a brand presence for them to go, oh, where is that? I want to go there. Or something like that so that's even part of it as well so there's, there's a lot that goes into it I was gonna say, uh, yeah and just kind of so making daily food is that all stemming from from you connor mostly or is it is it who else was involved in that whole process yeah so myself and my business partner we would have uh, sat down and, and worked out like that whole experience together just gone like look what do we want to deliver first of all you take your own personal experiences what we thought was great what you thought wasn't but then you try to fit it to your own brand and go what what does best in class look like like for any business whether it's mad egg or whether it's squeeze like the idea even if it's a chicken restaurant in dublin you have to go what can we be the best in the world at and that has to be the mindset to go can we be the best fried it's a small niche but can we be the best fried chicken restaurant in the world what goes into that how do you do it? it's best product but it's best experience it's best of that because from my point of view if you can't be that there's not a not a whole lot of point in doing it like yeah, yeah. there's so many <clears throat> there's so many angles that you can come at that 
with it, it's something that when you go in and you like order <laughs> order your food you're not even aware of all of those aspects that have gone into it you can get you can kind of geek out on anything about the business like i said the acoustics the atmosphere all type of stuff so really interesting there and then when when you got going was it a immediate success was there was jet find your feet for the first year or anything like that or was there a good kind of uh, response from the, the public so at the beginning um it was pretty crazy so i w- would have worked on full time on the floor in the kitchen for the first restaurants uh so it's kind of like just trying to manage that whole experience and really build it and build it the ethos and the team and just be on and I had to obviously <laughs> that's not, not much of a choice and a small business like you have to be everywhere all over it but no we started off remember the first two weeks we opened because we were just on the corner and uh, we didn't have a whole lot of customers and uh, people didn't know about us it's like how do you get word of mouth Dave? so that's kind of we had a social media strategy but we would have accelerated and that's when we really started to go look um like from from one side who are who, who are like micro influencers in the area that you could reach out to wouldn't give them any money or anything but we got look we're a new business come in here if you like it post about it if you don't you don't you don't have to pay for your food yeah. and it's kind of like build up a relationship with these people over time and then they started like it was kind of like all happened at once i think it was like the second week with like 20 tourism posted and sales went up by like 200 and something percent and then it didn't look back like user yeah. around the corner and stuff so okay. um it was a little bit too much too quick as well, so it was a bit of a shit show. Uh, <laughs> trying, to, trying to manage that. A lot of apologies, a lot of meals, comments from people, stuff like that. But it was insane in terms of th- that kind of feedback that summer. And then it enabled us then to open up the second one within four months of the first one, which oh, was like a quick turnaround. That probably also wasn't the best business decision in terms of the first one hadn't even found its feet in terms of processes and stuff like that. So, yeah. But, uh, it's, and it's a, out of interest, Connor, like when you were looking around at what the, what best in class looks like, were you looking around Dublin? Were you looking around America, UK? How far afield did you look? Everywhere. So obviously we're focused on like uh, fried chicken and uh, a specific style of it. So we were in, in, went to Nashville, uh, which is like the home of it, ate in all the best places there. New York nice. went to the, uh, used to go to the food festival that's on in September there as well. And try out all the best joints there the uk as well just as many places we could get to uh like beyond cooking our own ones i'd say i probably tried like ten thousand different different like chicken sandwiches like across different countries and then we went in and obviously started specializing our own one yeah and like that's obviously one niche but then you go to every other every other place that you hear good things about in terms of like this place is a great brand or a great great vibe you look at places that really connect with their audience and you go why are they connecting it's not just because they're cool but like that's to be a whole lot of like there's I think it's like that Maslow hierarchies of needs for businesses. So you have the functionality of a business. So like, what do you deliver? And then it's like the experience then, or sorry, the like kind of visuals and other things. And you get to the top, it's like, how do you create a meaningful experience? Because that's, no one's ever had a bad, meaningful experience. So it's like, how do you connect at that level with an audience or with a customer to make them really, really feel attached to your brand? So you find other people who do that because there's a lot of good, good examples of that. And then you start to just really deep dive in their businesses to go, what are they doing that's really connecting with people? It's not just their product because like it can be really, really good, but there's obviously a lot of really, really good places out there. products. And and that's, that was obviously the, the chicken, the chicken burger. Another thing that that people think of when they, when they see mad egg is the cheesecake, which is unbelievable also. Um, and huge. How did, how did the research go for that? What did you do for that? Yeah, the idea was uh, twofold. It was like, we want to do something that's like messy. It's good crack. It gets people playing and like kind of engaging with a product to go look like I can actually make my version of it 
and then it's like the second round of that is I want to share what I've created with people. So then it's like an emotion, like on social media and stuff like that. So it was like twofold to say like they can have emotional connection with it. But number one, it was very much like get people messing around, whether on a date or whether with their friends. And I mean, you just pouring chocolate and throwing stuff all over it. It's really messy. It's just like, there's no frills to it either with the burgers. You take a bite out of one, it's gone all over your face and you have to appreciate that. Like you're not going to go in there. <laughs> just take your makeup off before you go. Like, yeah. um, <laughs> But yeah, second date you, maybe not maybe not a first date second date maybe you get a lot of first dates in uh, <laughs> it's that's too. confidence yeah yeah big time so once the once that off, got off the ground uh that was what year was that 2016 or something like that was it 2018 so oh, march 2018 2018 only okay so it's only been yeah. really going for two years two yeah. years it seems and it's that just goes to it goes to speak to the brand because it seems like it's been around for a long time. That you know that kind of it's been yeah. in that kind of zeitgeist. Um, and then when uh, the the new business is a, kind of a, a software as a service model for uh, for restaurants, and that's that's brand new. That's something that you're developing right now. It's called Squeeze, right? Yeah. And yeah. what what kind of made made you go from a, a jump from a successful uh, restaurateur? Um, you know, growing that business, and then did you see like a gap in the market through that business that you were looking to fill, Are you scratching your own itch here? Yeah, big time. So, like, obviously, we still have massive growth plans for Mad Egg, and that's definitely a journey that once we can try and get through this storm for however long it lasts. But uh, it came from scaling the business quite quickly. So it was three restaurants in like fourteen months, and uh, they were getting bigger each time. The restaurants, and with that comes its own different set of problems. So you're trying to but from the outside in, it might not seem a massive, like a massively complex business, but they're really, really complex businesses to run. There's so many different touch points and so many different data points to really get a handle on in terms of like where your sales are coming from, who's buying, how they're buying, what what triggers demand. Could be external factors like weather or events or concerts and stuff that are happening, like have massive ups and downs. And then how you plan down the line to say, look, this is how much you, your team you need in or just how much product you need to have on site to make sure you're not throwing stuff away, you're not like having high wastage. Mm. And even beyond that, like just so many different decisions and touch points. And ultimately, like as you scale out and more people come on the team, the variability in decision making or, or good decision making is massive. And that's what either makes you profitable or not profitable. So um, it's an industry with a high turnover rate, irrespective of how well you can treat your staff as well. So it's kind of just a lot of different compounding factors. And we found it initially as we scaled from one to two, we saw profitability drop. Uh, across both restaurants because you can't be in both places at one time so it led me to start kind of building more automated systems in the back end for the restaurant using kind of that experience in Davies and stuff to model and uh, so would have built, built like um, regression analysis and stuff to really try and forecast sales what what, what impacts how our sales come through and stuff like that like what, what triggers demand where can we push them out to try and get more people through a door and then work down the line to go like how can I automate ordering automate scheduling and stuff like that just to try and make decision making kind of linear across the businesses um, and look we were able to bring them up and then we were able to bring our profitability up to a level that was like almost three times the industry average so we got wow. a couple of offers to be bought out last year already by like yeah, yeah by like uh, some of the biggest players in the space and they were obviously deep diving on our financials and stuff like that to say um, uh, like this is really impressive like what do you do here and what's your approach and stuff like and they asked Part of the caveat for them was that we'd come and jump in and manage their other portfolio businesses. These would have been big private equity funds that own loads of different brands. Yeah. They were like, if we buy your brand, you keep growing that, but you also apply that management approach to our other portfolio brands. 
it's basically working for them, which wasn't really something that I was overly interested in doing. Yeah. Um, so that was that, but allowed us to then go into these massive chains that are like 100, 500,000 locations and see that like, if you're at, if you tr- if you turn out, if you're at a certain level, the way, you have all the systems in place in terms of like technology systems, the operating systems, the structure that those chains have. And like, even if you get up to 100 or 200 locations, the inefficiencies are still there and they're almost compounded even more for each location. So the variability in each, like the reason why their profit, level, profit margins are so low is because one location could be trading great Second one could be trading great, but it's not performing well because it's not being managed right, and it's just such an up and down across it. So I saw a massive gap there to kind of take that that system that we built for us and take it to the next level. So partnered with a um, data scientist who would have had 15 years kind of uh, AI and data data science experience, and a product uh, guy John as well, who's 18 years in the valley as a product designer, uh, and he was actually a VC, a venture capitalist over over there as well. So just them together a really good team over the last few months and we decided to go what can we build here to actually allow these businesses to harness unbelievable amounts of data to just maximize their profitability so that's where the idea for squeeze came from so we effectively sit as like a a neural center in a business so we sit in between all the operating operating systems so pull data out of your points of sale your labor management your inventory anything your social media your accounting platforms and act as like a flywheel to, to then use artificial intelligence to learn from that data to see what really impacts your business and then push out decisions on the ground to every single outlet in a chain to go, look, you need to do this, this, and this. But like the biggest problem with data science, as you guys have probably come across, is you have loads of graphs and charts and different things. You have to infer them, interpret them, and then like that's where the execution yeah. falls down. Like nobody wants to see a graph and a chart. So we present it in such a way where it's like buy ten lemons, roster John and Mary between six and nine, push this button for a promotion. Because like it's very much like just one click and go, but that kind of complexity is completely masked in the background. So yeah, got a lot of traction on it in terms of people wanting to use it. So um, it's been going well. I can't believe that that hasn't been invented or, or created already. Yeah. So there you go. It's kind of an interesting. It's, it's the this the the next step in these types of businesses. These scales businesses are the is the AI or the uh, like I said taking the like you can see it with automated cars basically where there's going to be a decision that is going to be made in the next 10 years probably where okay are is it is it uh socially okay to drive if the, the computer is going to be better than you do you know what i mean yeah. so there's gonna mm-hmm. there's gonna be that that kind of switch over and we have we have a similar uh, thing in hubspot where our our data ops team or our um our kind of a business intelligence team they they have a really big say in in management decisions now because it's like okay this is yeah. this is what we're going to do this we're not going to we're going to launch this product um in we're going to launch product this month but instead because of x y and z the the ai is actually telling us that we should wait 3 months you know all the cuz all the factors that go into it so yeah. super super interesting so and with the with this type of business where let's say like you said 5 years from now 10 years from now you have 100 locations all over the uk whatever how can you it's so it's so difficult for you to to train managers to think like the founders uh you know so yeah. maybe you're kind of putting that taking that uh taking those decisions not away from them but suggesting these are the best uh given what we know these are the best uh, courses of action to take is that what the product would do yeah pretty much so like the the industry like i suppose for us like we start off with AI and then uh, first in terms of decision making. So, and then it comes into more machine learning as you get more data points, but it takes a long time. So like for us, like our goal is like, 
probably 100 outlets by the end of this year and then uh, four or 500 by the end of next year. So we're trying to get as much data points as we can. Initially, like what we do is like in this space, like you're always reacting. So, so much to do. It's too little time and so much to do. So like all those decisions are massive in terms of managing profitability, but they're not massive to somebody on the ground in terms of their incentive to get through their day. You're dealing with all the shit from like what's happening in the kitchen, somebody not turning in, turning up or customer issues and all those different types of things. So like, we're not trying to remove the decision-making. It's very much a support metric. From our point of view, it's like building advocacy on the ground through the people who are going to use it ultimately to say, look, we're the first thing you want to check every day and the last thing you want to check every night because we know we have your back in terms of making the right decisions because a lot of their kind of financial uh, rewards are based on hitting targets and stuff like that. Mm. And ultimately then for a wider group, like if every location in a chain can, is hitting it out of the park, then that's going to be way more profitable as well. Yeah. But um, yeah, so it would have been like a, the kind of learning piece to it is like, it's automated to the point of every decision that gets made that uh, it learns from our results. So if we make a bad recommendation and it doesn't hit its target, we, we know to not put a good weighting on that and it'll learn the next time, the next time, the next time. Like that, so. Steady. And what's the what's the kind of go-to-market strategy there? Are you going to put it in kind of like strategic uh, brands first and say, you know, give them a really good deal on that to get that, that data? Yeah. Or is it going to be like a sales team, you know, pushing it? No, in look, very much in a learn-by-doing stage at the moment. So we want to be... Uh, we're in seven different brands who have like up to 35 locations at the moment. And we're rolling out across uh, five or six of the biggest ones around Ireland in the next quarter. The idea is like, yeah, very much like we're coming in there as business case creation for the next five, six months just to go, look, let us move the needle as much as we can with your business. Um, it's not about like, and ultimately you need to get them to pay for it because that's a proof, proof point in itself as yeah. well at some point. But um, yeah. it's all well and good giving people stuff for free. Yeah. But uh, initially it's, that's not it's not it's not about revenue generating so much at the moment it's about like proven product market fit and then for like go to market we're going to look into an official launch in january and that that'll be very much around like trying to scale the business then perfect and how long did it take to actually get something that was like a uh, uh not beyond a proof of concept for a, a product but you know like uh like a functional thing that you could actually offer to these guys from like the idea stage to to actually getting into restaurants how long does that take generally um, for me, it was, I suppose, but I had something working as a mini proof of concept in our own restaurants. And then uh, I went, she went through an accelerator uh, with the NDRC in spring, which really helped. So uh, probably six months um, from my initial version to getting the team together. So six of us now, because initially it was myself and an Excel spreadsheet. Yeah. So um, six of us now. And then uh, we've got the whole back end engine really churning now. So that, that, that went in and it's in locations and adding value like obviously we're a good bit away from like really clean ui and stuff like that but like that productizing bit comes next it's just that's showing the value first that's amazing luke luke is a big fan of the kind of SaaS model the kind of monthly subscription we were just talking about that luke yeah like connor what would be the kind of key components that you need to create that that, that type of business you know you mentioned a product person a data scientist yeah. Uh, the idea generation in the first place, obviously. What are the kind of key components? And was the accelerator, do you think it's essential? Uh, tell us a bit more about that. Um, I think for any business, uh, the problem, a really hair on fire problem is, is the first thing you need. So like, you don't want to, there's a lot of people go out and create solutions for problems that don't exist. Um, mm. Or create solutions for problems that kind of exist, but people will go, meh. Like, yeah. I mm. would buy it, but <laughs> if I have a bad week, I, will, I wouldn't buy it. And that's now not where you want to be. Because like, you could, like, that's first of all, let's find out like what's from your own learnings, your own experience, like what's 
the biggest problem a business or a person or people face uh, and why why do they face it and have an understanding of that and then you can start to idea generate to go look well, how could I solve this um, that was the first step for me obviously having the experience going through it and then I was kind of going well is that, is that just me but then there was a lot of like networking to go around and all different levels of the of the industry from the top chains to, to the mom and pop shops to go are you guys how do you run your business like what's the like, do you focus on growth? Do you focus on cost? What are your pain points and stuff? And then you see a massive correlating factor to all these businesses and you're able to go, look, this is why this is happening. And Accelerator isn't uh, a necessity for people, but like, look, they offer a really good mentorship. Um, they really pull your business ideas apart. They force you to really think about what you're doing. It's really good. First of all, no matter what business you go into, you guys are even, you know, like it's the personal risk. Because you're spending your life, your time. It's going to be like a lot of hours of every week in it, not just the financial risk. So you need to make sure you really believe in it and, it, and there's a de-risk it to a point that it's going to work before you're going to spend all this time in it. So from that point of view, it's really valuable. Obviously, they invest in the business as well, which is good. And then they'll give you exposure to like different areas of a market you wouldn't have exposure to, like follow-on investors and stuff like that. So from my point of view, yeah, it was massively valuable. Um, but like if somebody, other people could take a different approach, it's no one, one fits all approach for anyone, I don't think. Very good. And is that where you got the introductions to the, the data scientist and the, the product yeah, guy? Yeah, actually. And, yeah, okay. in fairness, the product, product guy was a mentor on the program, and so he came oh, wow. to join the business after that. Well, and what does a product, uh, sorry, what, just, just for our listeners, what does a product uh, person actually do? So yeah, he'll work like very much start with experience first. So the whole idea for us is how do you create the most delightful customer experience? Because you can have something that adds massive value, but if somebody doesn't want to use it, then it's not worth the shit, like really. So it's working from that, that base up to go, what, what what emotional drivers these people have, like, and then how can you build that up into a product in terms of the different interactions, the different flows? Because it's like anything, like not only if you're trying to buy something on an e-commerce site and yeah. something stops you and you don't check out, like you've lost somebody. Try to do that yeah. in a B2B setting. Those different interactions and everything is so important, but you have to understand how they work in a real-life setting and like what format does a lot of complexity. So he works from the base all the way back up to that and all the way through the visual design and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, yeah he would have uh, run a product a company called Zerb in Silicon Valley, so doing product design. So lots of experience in that. Amazing. Super. I think it's, it's so it's it's so good to have somebody to that has that experience to kind of scope out what a project would be like. Because how many times have like I've talked to some people that I know in, in tech and they're like, I think this is a good idea, and they're like, Yeah, that's a that's a 500 grand uh, proof of concept yeah. to build. So I hope you've got some cash. I'm like, no, I don't. So I'm going to leave that one for now. Just circle back um, and, uh, and uh, you know, tackle that, that later on. Yeah, circle back. Circle back. I'm going to circle back on that. So just never, just never see them again. Like. Yeah, exactly. Let me, let me come back to that. Um, no, because we've, I've had a lot, like a lot of uh, ideas uh, with one of my, a friend of mine uh, in HubSpot as well about the like different, uh, different kind of SaaS models that we would like to maybe do soon or in the future um so it's really interesting to me as well it was also interesting that the the i know that they're connected but what you're from from what you've told told me today like usually if you, if i spoke to somebody who was just uh, uh in, into restaurants and the food and that type of stuff you would assume that their next venture would be um you know something connected to that um but this is connected but it's completely different uh kind of industry product but i'd say all of those uh the financial um aspects and the modeling like said that you learned almost like in dave it goes back to the financial uh kind of cfa stuff kind of feeds in a lot more uh to, to your businesses than than a usual uh uh entrepreneur like if somebody if you went down to 
had a, I live in Greystones here. If you went down to one of the restaurants here, that it's kind of like a just a passion project. I, I don't, I'm not sure that they would have all the regression modeling that there <laughs> that you're that you're using there. So I think that's uh that, yeah. that's sure that's a big part of the success too. Um, but yeah, so yeah, I think I think people who are in finance who want to do what what you did, kind of like maybe they they're underestimating their ability. You know, I know as a, as an accountant who opened a recruitment business eventually running the you know the budgets the forecasts all that kind of stuff that came quite natural to me and and was was definitely a string to my bow um so i think there is skill sets that you can have in maybe opposing uh, industries that can be beneficial yeah, i think it's all a, sorry go ahead no go ahead i just think it comes back to de-risking everything that you're doing so you try to bring in all the different skills that you have and uh, add it in and then anything you don't have you just get the right people that can do it as well plug it in okay cool um so what what's the the vision for squeeze is it going to be something that's going to be uk and ireland first or are you going to be launching in america as well what's the what's the go, go to market there yeah so uk january and then us 2022 q1 is the plan like look it's pretty far confident we'll do it but like and that's the north star in terms of where we're going and for a roadmap but like Obviously, I've, I'm a very big proponent of if you go further than six months in front of your face, you're talking a lot of shit as well. So, like, you just need to <laughs> yeah. need to attack what you what you're doing now, execute on it, deliver on it, and then you can do the next part. But it's definitely a plan to try and, I suppose, like, not to sound cheesy, but empower as many businesses as you can around the world to cool. do something. So, class, and um, it's it's like six months. It seems like a long time in these uh, in these kind of COVID times as well. Every every week, things are changing and information is uh, is coming out and that type of stuff. So hopefully by twenty twenty two, things will be back to somewhat normal as well, and then you can really start to plan with confidence. I think for everybody's business. Um, yeah, big time. You know, big time. for 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 Mad Egg, Connor, what kind of um, what kind of pivots did you have to make? You know, to to facilitate you know things that are going on at the moment and and the restrictions and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, it was massive difference. Like for us. Um, Luckily, I suppose uh, we had a bit of for like we were, as I said, coming on the line. We had location four being started to be built in March, five triggered for end of April, and we were actually building a farm with our farmers that was supposed to start in May. So, Mad Egg Farm, in terms of just purely farm to fork, uh, we're all still going to do all those things. We pressed pause, obviously, luckily in February, see, because it was kind of escalating. It wasn't just something that was happening in the, the eastern part of the world. It was moving around mm. so yeah we never had any kind of off-premise before then which is looking back was massively naive but we were very much back to that experience to say we want to control everyone's experience when they come into the restaurant if the food leaves the restaurant then you have zero control not zero but you're very limited control over what happens or how they enjoy it and the feedback loop and stuff like that so we didn't so we, cl- we closed in it was like this 10th of March and then reopened for takeaway in 15th so five day turnaround uh, we had builders in on the 12th so had to like strip everything out to make it socially distanced and um, more accessible for the guys restructure the kitchen so they could have their own workspaces and stuff and then we launched on delivery and pickup then straight away and worked all through lockdown which was like number one was trying to keep the guys in work and we kept our team together which was great and then number two just keep, keep the brand relevant like try to deliver some sort of experience through it because people can see it all the time or still order from me and your loyal customers and your advocates still can get from you during the hardest times and it will resonate with them when, when you kind of open back up. So Absolutely. yeah, ch- challenging time, but uh, we look at it to go like, it's an opportunity to stop, really look at the business in terms of what's working, what's not working in terms of the operational stuff and come out way stronger. So when, when this does go, hopefully like 
we passed this period that will be first out the gates in growth mode in terms of go, we'll do this, this, and this, and this. Um, we're working with other crowds as well around like cloud kitchens and stuff. So something we've been testing to see if we can actually test out areas. So we're probably be going into one or two different suburban areas in the next three months to um, to do like uh, solely online on online mad eggs so just delivery just pick up or just delivery and take it so so the that's an interesting concept as well because i think i heard about this uh, on another podcast in passing but i don't really didn't really know the, the kind of ins and outs of it so a cloud kitchen would be a a location where you're you're delivering like mad egg uh products but there's no uh public facing uh location yeah. is that how that works and then yeah. it's purely you order it and it, okay um yeah. and i guess that's that's pre- I, that must be interesting from a cost point of view. Maybe you can, if you don't have that, you don't have to have that kind of branding and stuff, uh, and all like the furniture, all that type of stuff as well. Is that uh, is that attractive to you guys as well? Do you think that would be? Yeah, I think so. Like the online piece showed like the demand for it within. Obviously, it's a little bit skewed and that people have less way less options to do anything, so it's going to be more demand. So you might take a piece of percentage off that. But I think what it did prove is that beforehand, I would have been very much of the idea that. You're only going to order from a restaurant or a brand that you know. I think over the last couple of months, it's accelerated that. If there's a good rating on it, there's a positive feedback or reinforcement on it, I don't care if the place has a, has a building yeah. anywhere. Yeah. You just like send, send me the food. And if it's really good, I'll order it again. So like it's going to open up that stream. I think it's good for other like entrepreneurial food people as well because it's a much lower barriers or entry to set up something. So I do think it's really going to take off in the next like 24, 36 months. So for us, yeah, I'd be excited to see how we, how we can do it. It's definitely a growth, it's a growth opportunity in an environment whereby growth is, is is not a word people are using. Like, yeah, that's really. really and Connor, yeah. would you have like a a network of restaurateurs, entrepreneurs, you know, that you could run ideas by, and especially during the, the this kind of time at the moment, do you have like a network of people that get together? Um, yeah, we do. Like, it took it took a long time to build that up. To be fair, because uh, part of setting up your own. Um, your own business stuff it's very isolating in terms of you you're always kind of questioning yourself and if you don't verbalize and get kind of people to talk through it's difficult but yeah there'll be a good few operators in the space you talk through stuff with can be a little bit um competitive uh, some mm-hmm. people can be like that but like if you approach it just as open book to go like i don't need to know anything about, I don't want to know anything about your business like i'm just trying to trash out an idea with you from a different perspective yeah. i think people are open enough like um yeah built it up over time wouldn't be a big network but it's definitely a couple of key people there i'd, I'd bounce everything off yeah, I think it's very useful and, and the competitiveness just needs to be put aside at times and it can be done without without that kind of standing on anyone else's toes. I think it can be done. Definitely, yeah. I don't know, Mark, are you, you hanging out with other recru- recruitment entrepreneurs or is that... Well, I, I, I do, yeah, <laughs> well, I do. But uh, we have similar a similar investor, so we all get together and we, oh, we have okay. a chat, you know, yeah. be 10, 50 and other companies around Ireland and the UK and none of us kind of compete directly against each other Um so Singing. look, we we find it very beneficial. You get to see trends, you get to see what's really happening out there, and um, so that's the benefit uh, I have anyway. What's yeah. it like working with James Can? Great, yeah. Well, I have to say that because this is a live podcast now. Yeah. So shout out, <laughs> shout out, Mister Can. <laughs> no, James is super. He's obviously he he'd be the I don't know the Alex Ferguson of recruitment. So yeah. that's where that's where he's made his fortune, and he's very clued in, very clued into the Dublin market as well, which is very impressive um, for someone who you know, lived on a yacht in Monaco for a long time. Um, but uh, he's very, very clued in. You have to you have to know your stuff, uh, which is fair. You know, he's not afraid to deep dive into things. Yeah. Um yeah, really nice guy. Just just probably what like what you see on the Dragon's Den. He he's a nice he's a nice one. <laughs> yeah, I read his book, it was it was actually impressive, his approach to stuff. 
Yeah, every everything James says has weight behind it. There's no filler. You know, everything yeah. is kind of just makes sense and and has impact. Yeah, very good guy. Very lucky. I also read Disrupted as well. Uh, I don't know if you read that relating to HubSpot. That, oh, the is that the the, <laughs> the guy who goes uh, undercover? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> I I haven't read. I read kind of expert excerpts from it. That was about. I think it was 2013, 2014 or something like that when it was still kind of startup-y. It's good, good actually. It's it's a great place to work, but it is definitely more corporate now. There's nothing... Yeah. You can't really get away from that when they've got locations all over the world and there's, you know, thousands of people coming yeah. to Zoom meetings. That type of thing, you know, it, it, uh, yeah. it's not the kind of startup vibe. But his, uh, his impression is it's... A lot of the things that he is annoyed about... I actually quite like because I think it's aimed at me. Like, do you know? So yeah, exactly. I like yeah, I like yeah. drinking beers with people at work. Um, I like yeah. uh, I like the kind of the energy of getting everybody pumped up. Um, I don't like I don't like I know a lot of the compared to and I, again no kind of disrespect to Davy, but it's a different vibe in in HubSpot. Like, and they're trying to make everybody uh, feel good all the time, which is not possible. <laughs> so sometimes they go too far with. Yeah. With with some things, and it can be a little bit cringy, especially for Irish people. Uh, like our, the Irish offices actually, uh, if if it's not the biggest now, it might be the biggest soon with the headcount because it's grown so fast. Um, but it's a great place to work. But there, is, there's definitely if you're if you're not into the kind of the startup vibe, the beanbag chairs, the yeah. you know, if you're looking at this and thinking, is this the best, you know. Uh, way to spend shareholders uh, returns then it's obviously going to be a it, it's a harder sell for that but um, it's a great place to work it works and, though it works like, like, we had our biggest yeah. month ever yes or in J- July um, which is crazy in these times you know um, so we're continue to grow uh, continue to be uh, really successful so like I said it it I take a lot of the guys' points. So Mark for Mark, uh, who maybe hasn't uh, read that, some kind of guy in his, I think he was in his 40s, perhaps? He was in his 50s, yeah. Oh, he's he was 50s. an Newsweek journalist, yeah. Yeah, so he's a kind of a journalist who went kind of undercover in HubSpot. And uh, he he worked there and he wrote an article as well. I think it was called uh, My Year in uh, Startup Hell, I think it was called. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, and basically, Mark, his, his whole thing was, you know, this is, it's so gimmicky that it makes it uncomfortable to like, you know, I don't want to be around lots of people having beers in the kitchen. You know, this is, all, you know, kind of complaining about how, how the, the, the culture was really manufactured. Mm. And a lot of these tech companies, it's, it is, it's on purpose. The whole thing mm. is to, like we talked about before, today we worked or we talked to people um, at Google um, on the podcast as well. And it is designed to make it as comfortable as possible for you to stay longer uh, and also, yeah. when it's such a good place to work, the I'm not just talking about HubSpot. I mean these tech companies. When it's such a good place to work, the work rate of people goes through the roof, and their stress goes up as well because they don't want to lose this. <laughs> they don't want to go back to working for um, an Irish uh, kind of a traditional company in an uh, office with the bad lighting and the uncomfortable chairs and sit in your chair just, until five just like one type of coffee yeah just one just one type of jaffa cake you know who who <laughs> how, how are you gonna live like that connor um so um so my, my point is like sure the new office has uh a prosecco on tap it yeah, does but, yeah but that's 
that's what you've come to you come to expect <laughs> I don't that's what so, you get in Greystones anyway Luke I'm sure yeah, yeah exactly so my point is it's a it's a great place to work I actually think it's a good it's it's a good thing it's kind of like uh, do you know a lot of people talk about the uh, footballers they make X amount you know, crazy money all the time but they're the ones that are actually p- providing the product they should get like where else is that money supposed to go do you know what I mean yeah. so um, with the with staff and those tech companies if if they're delivering like a Somebody in Google, like a salesperson, Google might uh, sell you know two or three million euro worth of product a year. So yeah. you know, paying for their lunch, that's worth. That's a great return on investment. Do you know what I mean? So, hundred percent. You have to take care of your people, like and yeah, if just it's that kind of ethos of like as you said, treat treat your people as best you can, like because they're going to work incredibly hard. And you and they know that, but you might as well give them all the bells and whistles. Whereas instead of being like. You should be lucky or happy you're working here and now deliver. Exactly. <laughs> it's got, it's, it's, not, not, not that anywhere that I've worked is like that. I'm just saying like that. that no, uh, <laughs> but you, you'd be surprised at how like the performance at, even in HubSpot, like, everybody is so obsessed with doing well. And yeah. I think it comes from, it doesn't come from, like there's no, the management style in, in HubSpot isn't real pressure from the top at all. It's just, yeah. they've provided such a good place to work that you you want to stand out. You want to, achieve because you'll get rewarded in uh, uh asymmetrical way you know so uh anyway but that's that's the so the guy who wrote disrupted i'm sorry he didn't have a, a great time uh and maybe yeah. <laughs> you know maybe that was a, a few years ago as well but um for instance like i it go i think hubspot goes it goes to show that how uh how well it's been managed because the the two guys who started it um are still the number one and two in the in the company and it's a 10 billion dollar company that kind of never happens really a very few times you know it's uh usually the board kind of yeah. push them out <laughs> but, yeah it's like it's that kind of icarus once you get into that, that level of investment flies close to the sun as you can if you don't hit the targets you're out the door like. yeah exactly so we've been yeah. lucky enough since yeah. i even since i started i started there for well, just over three years ago and um like what we did last month would have been a whole quarter's target out of the Dublin office like we're really it's really going well and it's great for Dublin because they're hiring I think they hired 600 people since lockdown you know Jesus. this is they were it, great. you know so there's a lot of ups and downs with the with the, the kind of startup feel but I think it, the net benefit is quite good you know I think there's like a massive movement over the next while to really provide products for SMEs and stuff though, you know what I mean? Who who wouldn't have been able to operate at enterprise level. So I think there's gonna be a lot of businesses that focus on stuff like that going forward. Yeah, absolutely. Um but we're uh yeah so that's that's the the HubSpot story here. Mark, we are pushing our hour as usual. The thing time always flies by here. Uh we're kinda really enjoying this. Uh, but Mark kinda has a party piece that we throw in towards the uh the end of a, okay. a podcast here. It's it we call it the lightning round. It's been called the uh the quick fire questions. I don't know if we quick fire answers, but we've got some really interesting answers over the over the last uh what's eight months or whatever. So um Mark, what do you think? Do you have your are you on holiday though? Do you yeah. have your Stuff no, I have them. I have them on uh, on here. I can I can bring them up on the computer because I I did has... it last week with uh, with our uh, other uh, guest Connor, and uh, I was just completely winging it. I don't even know if they're the right ones. I didn't have them in front of me, so just like yeah. So and then <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how well that went. But anyway, Mark, go on, go for it. Okay. Um, what apps do you use the most, Connor? Gmail, Google Calendar, um, WhatsApp. WhatsApp, yeah, probably. What's your favorite social media and why? 
uh, Instagram because I suppose I use it for Matic. Uh, we did use it for the most and we got the most kind of ROI from that, which is, yeah. Are you hands-on with the, the, the Instagram or do you have a team that does it? Just out of interest? Yeah, we are. Yeah, we are. Yeah, so I would have managed it solely up until recently enough. Um, okay. And uh, it's something I enjoy. Like it's, you're able to kind of create that voice for a brand. We've more people involved now though. Yeah. That's cool. Um, what's the best business idea you never acted upon? Love this one. Or do you want to give it away? <laughs> yeah, I don't mind. Um, what's the best business you never acted upon? From a smaller scale, I had an uh, had an idea where I tried to raise funds for like five years ago, six years ago, for uh, a platform for um, social housing. So it was basically trying to like crowdfund money to get it built to expedite um, getting it built because there's such such a demand and such a need for it. And I thought, like, number one, it's an idea where you could really like be proud of, and that like you're helping a massive need. And number yeah. two, it's 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 something that scale, but uh, couldn't get the money over the line. It's mad. That, it's mad that, that that you're talking about that six years ago, and the pro- the problem yeah. just got worse and worse. It never, uh, yeah. it never got better. Um, you would think that it can be frustrating the uh, the housing element because with crowdsourcing nowadays and with uh, certain deals that you can do or the government can do with bonds and all that type of stuff. It seems just crazy how the the lack of action on that, even five yeah, over time. the last five years, has been just really bad. But uh, so maybe we'll 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 get that done at some stage. Mark, you look like you're. Yeah, we'll, cir- we'll circle back. We'll, cir- we'll you know what we're gonna put a we're gonna put a pin in that, um, and then we'll double click on that later. Um, but Mark, okay. What what time do you get up in the morning and what time do you go to sleep? Uh, about half six in the morning, and then um, maybe eleven. Okay, sounds and like average. you don't sleep. The amount of stuff you're doing, but uh, you're obviously getting something in there. Depends <laughs> yeah. on the stress levels. Yeah. yeah. Um, if you could do business anywhere in the world, where would it be? In the states. Any particular reason? The market. Just for the scale. Just for the scale, yeah. Particularly in in what I'm doing. Absolutely. And both sides, even from a restaurant point of view, we always said. We always felt like that if we opened that Mad Egg in the States, probably have 150 locations instead of three. Like, just the way you can actually grow things. Like, I just love yeah. the idea of the, the American thing. I mean, Mark talked about this loads on the on the podcast because, like, it's it, it's such a homogenous place, as in, if it works in uh, it works in New York, it's it's likely to work in Tallahassee. Do you know what I mean? There's a there's a there's a big uh, there's a big kind of crossover there. Maybe not exactly, but um, just with anything, it seems like the scale of business over there. Um, I think in Ireland we have loads of we've talked to some incredible entrepreneurs over the last eight months, um, and lots of them uh, talked about the American thing. Uh, one in particular that I spoke to um, has his sales team focused exclusively on America. It's a SaaS product, SaaS product, and his sales guys come in at twelve o'clock uh, in the day and work till eight. And they just sell to America. They don't even uh, interest in Ireland because it's just so it's such a small population. So, yeah. So uh, it's interesting to do that. But. And Connor, do you think the US is is on the horizon realistically for anything you're doing? Sorry, I didn't hear that, Mark. Do you think the US is on the horizon for realistically for anything that you you have planned to do business wise? Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. Um, I definitely see ourselves with squeeze there, and within eighteen months. Excellent. Cool. Okay. How here's a big one. How much money is enough money? Um 
yeah, enough enough passive income to a level that, that they that they they don't feel obliged to or stressed to have to to work again. I don't know if that I don't have a number in my head. Okay, what do you fear? To fear, um, losing time the most. So just prioritizing time and things can be making sure you're choosing the right things. Excellent. Um, uh, what age do you plan to retire? Never. Definitely not. It's a conversation with my dad always. When you, when you retire, your hair goes away, then, you, then your eyes go grey. Yeah. So your, your hair goes grey, then your eyes go grey, and that's the end of it. <laughs> always be your hair to go grey. Right. <laughs> Mark's already cut you off. I cut off the, that, uh, that element. Uh, <laughs> one more, Mark, and then we're at, we're at an hour. We'll let uh, Connor go then. Okay, right. Um, okay, two more, right? Is it is it what you know or is it who you know? Uh, it's what you know, being brought to who you know. <laughs> good answer. Very good answer. I love that one. Yeah, it's great. Okay. If you could advise someone to work, to learn one skill, what would it be? Financial literacy, definitely. Even just like your own personal financial literacy, how you spend your money, like difference between assets and liabilities and how much money you have going out versus coming in. I think that for, they should just teach that in school. I have no idea why they don't teach it in school properly. Like, it's, yeah, I think it's, there's, that's a great answer and it hasn't, yeah. I don't think that's come up yet um, and I'd fully agree. I such think, a big one, like. it, well, it comes, it, it is in school, it's in accountancy, but that's an option. I never did accountancy in school, ironically yeah. enough. And also, um, it's uh, like it's should be a prerequisite. I think it's, it's a weird kind of culture thing as well. Like if you ever watch, um, there's a, a program on RTE called How to Be Good with Money, and I, I don't think it's I don't think it's correct at all. Like it's, it's never about how do we make more money. It's all about yeah. oh wait, how do well, you save? It, every like it seems like in Ireland, a lot of people assume that what you're earning is your limit, and just make the yeah. most out of that. But there's an unlimited amount of money out there. Say if you, like, you can't get it overnight, but say if you're struggling, you can make, you know, five grand extra doing something on, you know, the weekends or whatever, and then yeah, your problems are gone then. But they're like, you know, stop having that latte. That's kind of the, that's always the yeah. advice, you know, especially in the Eddie, Eddie Hobbs, uh, Eddie Hobbs kind yeah. of thing. But anyway, uh, okay, cool. So Connor, it's been an absolute delight to have you on the Shark Pod today. Um, we do have one more question for you. Would you like a mug or would you like a t-shirt? Go to teacher if I can get one. Nice. Uh, Mark will be uh, in touch for details about that. Uh, and we'll leave it there for today. Connor, very much, thanks very much for coming along. And Mark, uh, shout out to the uh, Kirklow Hotel for sponsoring Mark's location today. All right. Bye. <laughs> thanks, Connor. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it.